Good morning, Union Hill brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good to be with you. Uh, ben and I have tried to put together an authentic experience for you here today, here in the auditorium of the church, and we even have candles going and the lights on, and you can even hear traffic streaming by, so I hope that'll be meaningful to you. Well, we're going to read some scripture now, and we're in the, uh, the book of Acts, and this is the very last chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 28, so if you want to turn to that in your device or your Bible, please do right now, and a little bit of a background for this. Um, some of you are, already know all this, but Luke, the author of the book of Acts, has chronicled a, a harrowing two-plus weeks of Paul and, two, and over 200 people on a ship in a storm at sea, hadn't seen sunlight or land for a very, very long time, ended up being shipwrecked on the island of what we now know to be Malta. And uh, I can't even imagine, you know, we're going through hard things right now, but the Apostle Paul and, and, and company really experienced a life and death harrowing experience and multiple of those during those days. So we'll be reading uh, Acts chapter 28, starting at verse 1, and we're just going to read through verse 10. So if you can follow along with me or just read uh, or just listen. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dwight. It was good to see you. We miss you. So they made it. Paul and the other 275 persons who had been on that ship, made it to dry land, just as God had promised. More than surviving the shipwreck, they were rescued and delivered by God himself. Luke declares, we were brought safely through. 
Talk about an incredible understatement. Two weeks of being driven by the winds and tossed by the waves, starving because they hadn't eaten, yet sick to their stomachs, so they probably didn't even want to. Every waking moment spent hanging on or scrambling to keep the ship from breaking apart and themselves from breaking down. They were exhausted, weary, hopeless. And then the shipwreck came and they had to navigate the surf and the reef and certainly not without scrapes and bumps and bruises. And imagine the fear those who couldn't swim experienced clinging to any shred or shard of wood that they could. And Luke says, we were brought safely through. Sounds like he shared Paul's faith. God said it, we believed it, that settled it. So they found themselves saved from the storm, yet walking on unknown land. We've been resonating with this whole journey as we've been lingering these last few weeks in these last few chapters of the book of Acts. We've been in a relative storm with much loss, much uncertainty. For some, fear, anxiety, despair. For others, extreme suffering. Is there light on the horizon? Is there solid ground ahead? I believe yes. I believe the Lord will bring us safely through. I believe he has something significant in store. And yet, unknown land. We haven't walked there before. And how many months will we stand on some semblance of solid ground before we can actually move on? For Paul and companions, it would be three months on Malta. Ah, this island, it has a name, as they soon discovered. In a sense, God has a name for the land that we're headed to, unknown to us, but not to him. We'll need to discover it. I'm praying it will be called something like renewal, awakening, restoration. Whatever it is called, we don't have the choice to go back to the way things were, though some will try. That ship won't sail again. I say, good, I don't want to go back. God has something new in store. Now hear me, I'm not saying or certain it's going to be easy or better, but I believe there will be unexpected fruit through this suffering. I believe there already is. Unexpected fruit in suffering, the title of this message. So the rescued passengers emerged from the raging sea, weary, beaten, cold, and wet. And then it started to rain. Low 50s, rain, windy. Sound familiar? An improvement from the ship for sure, but their journey was far from over and still quite uncertain. Now, by God's grace, they found favor and kindness and hospitality from the Maltese people, who immediately built them a fire. Must have been a large bonfire to give warmth to that many. Now, more than likely, the pieces and planks of the ship that washed ashore or that they clung to were tossed onto that fire. Again, I'll ask, what from our past way of life must be utterly destroyed? This current cultural global event that we are in is a seminal moment, a chance to be replanted. Perhaps this current time is like a greenhouse for many. Perhaps God will be growing deep roots and new shoots and ready for diverse fruit to come. 
ready to be planted in new fields for greater harvest. If you're new to Union Hill Church, welcome. You will need to get used to this kind of language as you've already been hearing today. It helps us articulate our mission and our vision. Now I'm urging us not to miss or waste this time. Our way of life as we knew it has forever changed. We're in the midst of a pause, like on Malta, for an unspecified yet limited amount of time. When we move on from here, will we be forever changed? Having been stripped of so many things that we thought that we needed, will we realize what we truly need? And may following Jesus be first and foremost to all else that we do. As our friend Dwight likes to say, if you need to fill a jar with walnuts and rice, you better put the walnuts in first. Two months ago, all of our jars were full and we were trying to figure out how to maybe get some of that rice out so we could put more walnuts in. This pause is a chance for the jar to be dumped out so that we can start again. Some of you have had your jar dumped for you. For others, God has given the opportunity for you to turn it over. Now for some, perhaps that's all you needed to hear today. Would you dwell there, pray, take action? I do want to venture on because what happened next is quite incredible. Perhaps comical, depending on your point of view. Verse 3 of Acts 28. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Hang on. Seriously? Wasn't God on Paul's side? Had Paul done something to deserve this? That's exactly what the Maltese people thought. Verse 4 and following. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, if we know anything about Paul, we know that he didn't waste this opportunity to preach. Can't you imagine him? I'm no murderer. Well, I was... But that's not what this is all about, and that's not why I'm a prisoner now. Never mind. More importantly, I am no God. Let me tell you about my God, the one true God, the God you call justice. Well, he is just, but he is also good. Can't you just hear him? It's exactly what he did when he preached in Athens. Remember Acts 17, verse 22 and following? He always looked for every opportunity to contextualize the gospel. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul wouldn't have missed this softball to preach. Let's not miss the opportunities that are all around us. Unexpected fruit in times of suffering. 
as many are trying to make sense of reality. They're asking those questions. Jesus is the answer to them all and all of our longings. He's the foundation for hope, joy, peace, and faith. He alone is the wisdom that we seek. He alone brings healing, renewal, and freedom. Furthermore, God used Paul to serve and to bless the Maltese people in real, practical ways, to bring healing to many who were ill, the father of Publius, the chief, and apparently everyone else on the island who was sick. Paul prayed for them, laid hands on them, and healed them. If Jesus had been there, he would have done the same. So let us look for ways to serve and bless in real, practical ways. Many are in need. You can see the video I posted earlier, earlier this week on giving generously in this time. It's just one opportunity to bless in practical ways, but they surround us all. Strangely, we're not told the extent of those who put their faith in Paul's God and began to follow Jesus on Malta. I think we can safely assume some, and yet, if there were none, and God still brought widespread physical healing, that too is amazing. If you've read through the Gospels and the book of Acts, we probably should also assume that not everyone believed. Even those who were miraculously healed, those who witnessed it firsthand. And that too is amazing. Yet the hardness of hearts shouldn't continue to surprise us. Not if we're in tune with our own. But perhaps that's the most amazing part of the story, isn't it? The part with the viper. Paul was able to just Taylor Swift that guy, shake it off. Okay, terrible joke. I just couldn't resist seeing if you're paying attention. Now, of course, I have to imagine that the natural reaction when you have a viper hanging from your hand is to shake it off. The question isn't how Paul did that. I'm asking, how did he maintain his witness, his character, maybe even his faith? Now, Paul had given his whole life to follow Jesus, to preach the gospel to all peoples at incredible risk and sacrifice, and all that had followed him was suffering. Now, Jesus had made that clear when he first called Paul, Acts 9, 15. Jesus said, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, to what extent? Well, Paul shares a bit of his resume in his second letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five and following. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from everyone, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in the cold, exposed. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? This was Paul's resume before the most recent imprisonment and shipwreck and viper bite. So add them to the list. So you want to follow Jesus. 
Is this the reason many don't? Suffering will be ours regardless. In this world, we will have tribulation. But no, Paul's life is not prescription, it's description. Following Jesus doesn't precipitate shipwrecks and viper bites. We will only walk through what God asks us to walk through. But how did Paul do it? He gives a hint at his resolve and his faith in that same 2 Corinthians passage. He says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. How far are we from this kind of faith and character? I'm not sure if it's humility or just perspective. How much suffering, how many storms, how many shipwrecks, how many viper bites do we need to endure before we have faith like Paul's? Before we could exclaim like a Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, yet I will worship him. But don't we ask in reading this account, was the viper really necessary? It sure got everyone's attention. What in fact was more amazing, that Paul didn't die or show any ill effects from the viper or that he would continue to proclaim the goodness of God and the love of God, though he was a prisoner, though he had been shipwrecked and now viper bitten. Our witness to the goodness and sovereignty of God in the midst of suffering may be the most powerful witness of all. It may be where the unexpected fruit is found. But did God send that viper or not? Was it Satan himself, like some rogue scholars suggest? I don't think Paul would have even asked the question. Who are we to question God's ways? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. The Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Paul's trust in God was so strong that he not only accepted this as truth, but worshipped God because of it. Do we? Praise God that he is wholly other. It's a good thing that we can hardly begin to fathom him, only because he's revealed himself in part. Thank you, God, that you are not like me and that you're not like the wisdom of men. That should bring us comfort, not uncertainty. Paul lived his whole life by four words. Thy will be done. And that's the call for all followers of Jesus. Because it's the way Jesus lived. And it's what he taught his disciples. Do you remember when he taught them to pray? Matthew 6, verses 9 and following. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. When Jesus was in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing his crucifixion was coming the next day, where he would bear the weight of sin upon himself and therefore experience God's wrath poured out on him. This is how he prayed, Matthew 26, 39 and following. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, Verse 42, he went and prayed again, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, thy will be done. This is the only way to live, the only sure footing, even in times of suffering and anguish and uncertainty, even when we've survived the storm and the shipwreck only to face the rain and the vipers. Yet those four words don't stand alone 
They simply rest atop every word and promise and display of God's power and goodness. For example, this one from Jesus himself. We've read it a few times in the last few weeks. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We will have tribulation. Chalk up the storms and the shipwrecks and the snake bites into one big bucket of tribulation. Goody. I'm sure Paul had plenty of questions for God. But with eternal perspective, he knew that one day they would all be answered. What will we ask the Lord on that day? Probably nothing. As we enjoy the fullness of life and the joy of his presence. But right now, it feels like, Lord, why the storm? Why didn't you stop it? Why the shipwreck when you could have safely brought us to harbor? And why did you even spare us just to bring the rain and the vipers? If we held all the answers, there would be no need to hold on to him. Will we trust him? Will we trust his word and his way? Will we live by four words? Thy will be done. Psalm of David, Psalm 18, 30 and following. He declares, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Finally, may we never underestimate the value that God places on one soul. Let me explain. He leaves the 99 to go after the one, Jesus said in a parable. Now go with me here. Is it possible the storm and the shipwreck and the viper were all the will of God to bring Paul and therefore the gospel of Jesus to Malta? I'm not sure I like it, but that's not up to me. But I think I like the alternative less, that God didn't will it, but only used it. Now that kind of thinking is quite unbiblical, that God is not providential or sovereign over all things, but he is. Scripture repeatedly declares that. Paul himself declares in Ephesians 1 verse 11, In God our Father we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Furthermore, God cares so much about lost peoples that he's willing to move heaven and earth to reach them, to literally come from heaven to earth. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Paul was convinced of both God's sovereignty and his love for all peoples. He based his entire life on it. More on that next week. There will be unexpected fruit in suffering if we're daily willing to submit and surrender to, worship and trust this sovereign God, whose ways are not ours. This means that times of suffering in my life and yours have a whole new purpose and perspective. This means that pandemics have a whole new possibility and opportunity. What unexpected fruit does God intend to bring forth? 
God loves to bring seasons of harvest and abundance from seasons of famine. Paul again says, Romans 5, verse 2 and following, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can know that suffering is purposeful. There is unexpected fruit that is growing in us and through us. May we live and die by not my will, but thy will be done. That's our prayer right now as we respond to God's goodness, trust his bigness, and stand on his faithfulness. Love you, church. Miss you. We'll see you soon.